Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work, work. This podcast is here to ask the big questions, to invite you into the conversation and really dig into what makes good workplace culture and how do we get better together. My name's Lincoln. I am one of the newer members of the MWAT team and I am delighted to welcome today another new member of the MWAT team joining us in 2021. It's Fungai Mutsiwa. How are you? I'm doing good, Lincoln. Thanks for the intro. It's my pleasure. I, I'm going to jump in with the question that I was asked, which is, what would you say are the three things that really make you tick? I would say social justice, reading, and music. Music was one of mine. Would you believe it? Really? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about music that, that is important to you? When you get to listen to a song and it takes you to a place that you've never been, you know, in the sense that it's not a particular experience you've had, but you can relive it in your mind based on the lyrics. I think that's always like a really awesome experience for me. I did used to be somewhat of a DJ uh, some <laughs> years ago. So, <laughs> so I have a habit of just collecting music now and I have, thousands of songs on my phone. It's interesting what you say about music being a portal into understanding experiences beyond our own. When you want to understand someone else, mm -hmm. what do you think is a starting point? If we're getting to know somebody, if we're getting to empathize with somebody, this could be a new person in the workplace or someone just in life. I, I like to ask a lot of questions. And when I listen to the responses, I try to remove myself from my own experiences and try to listen to that person to try to put myself in, the, in their shoes. And the more understanding I get, like both from a logical standpoint, but then also from an emotional view as well, it helps me then understand that person to connect more and interact with them in a way that they would understand. Almost this emotional subtext of yeah. that person's, like their heartbeat. It's, <laughs> it's so important. It's yeah. Cause it's not just the facts of who someone is. Otherwise we could get to know the world by reading a bunch of dot points. How have you found that in the last little while with more and more online communication? where we can't necessarily feel the heartbeat, feel the energy, the vibration of the other person. How have you gone about building that bridge? That's quite interesting, right? Because now you're having to decipher what people are really saying and actually feeling based on text, email. When I'm having those interactions with people, I tend to ask a lot of clarifying questions. I'll ask questions, but I'll also present my understanding of what they're saying just to make sure that we are both on the same level of understanding mm. uh, and then from there and I guess it then makes the conversation a lot easier because you both have that mutual understanding of where you are right yeah the the shared language the clarity of language mm. becomes more and more important yeah exactly it's a lot more complex when you when you're talking to people because it, it's there's so many things that can just 
there are things that are said and things that are unsaid, you know, and, and for the most part, you're really trying to find the unsaid part uh, to really understand that person and, and really get to how they feel and what exactly it is that they're trying to communicate to you. So to extend on that idea of the unspoken, the unsaid, conversations around diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. are deeply human conversations. At the core, they're dealing with ideas of identity, of privilege, of belonging. How do we reconcile the human, unspoken, complex side, which you've mentioned, with strategy and procedure and process? There has to be reconciliation between how someone feels or perceives things, both intellectually and emotionally, and how they want to see that translate in their work setting, right? A big part of it is about whether that person, first of all, feels safe within that workspace to be themselves. That will probably be the first step that I think of as far as, well, I need to first feel that I'm comfortable enough to be able to talk to my colleagues or to be able to talk to my manager about how I actually feel about a particular matter or just the the work environment in itself. Once you get to the point where you feel safe, I think it then makes it easier as far as having the conversations around how you as a person actually feel and how you understand, you know, whether it's your responsibilities or, or the expectations of the role itself or just the environment as a greater whole. The first critical point for me would be creating that feeling of safety. Yes, the safety to acknowledge both the intellectual and the emotional and the physical needs of a human being that we're not we're not one thing exactly we're quite complex speaking of people being complex i know just a little bit about your background your mixture of study both in finance cross-cultural psychology your work in many areas including being a carer as well as in a corporate context It's quite a wealth of experience that you bring to the MWAT team. What was a moment in your past where you felt there was a key piece of learning in a workplace? Because I know there's many stories you could tell us you've worked in many environments. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a moment that stands out where you went, oh, that moment taught me how to work better in a team or with an individual? I would have to say when I worked as a carer, I, I didn't realize how much I gained from it until I left the industry. So looking back on it now, one of the key qualities that I, I, I try to always work and, and improve on is my, my level of empathy. And, and I think that really started when I was working as a carer because it's, it's a really difficult job as far as I was having to look after people with spinal cord injuries and people are letting you in their personal spaces. You're having to look after them and they have to deal with the fact that you're not only in their space, but they have to trust you. It's not as simple as just a job that you're doing. You have to be able to understand the frustrations that they go through every single day. They, they can't cook for themselves. They can't clean themselves. They can't eat. So they feel quite dependent on you which is a really big 
responsibility. And there are times where you'd have to deal with, you know, some of these clients in their most vulnerable moments. And, you know, they would possibly lash out or they would you know, say things that would come across as hurtful, but you'd have to learn to understand where they're coming from. And that would help, at least help me as far as being able to understand that it's not necessarily them expressing how they feel about me, but it's them being frustrated at the situation because they feel, in some cases, they'd feel helpless. Looking back on it, that's one job that I had that I was, I'm really appreciative of because it's allowed for me to be able to, I guess, be in someone else's shoes. So be able to remove myself from, from my own experience and then just look at life from someone else's view. I pick up in what you say something really important, which is that we need to make space for the other person's experience. And you talk about it in quite a heightened way, obviously a very intimate one-on-one -on -one experience, but we need to make that space for each other, even in a corporate context. It reminds me of this concept I read in this book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. He's an Auschwitz survivor. So obviously that, that would have been a really gruesome experience. And he spoke a lot on how to be able to create the distance or the space between stimulus and reaction, right? And that allows that little moment is that moment of emotional growth where we, we can be able to then create that space when you're talking to the next person, you know, and, and it allows for you to, to be able to see things from your point of view, but from the other person's as well. And it makes for a, a richer connection and a, a richer conversation. I love that point, Fungai. And I'm so glad you mentioned man's search for meaning because you mentioned that reading was one of your three things that makes you tick earlier in the podcast. Yeah. You also mentioned social justice. How does that play out on a daily basis? How does that play out when we're at home more often than we were before or more isolated than we were before? I've had a lot of time across the last 18 months being at home. So it's allowed for me to learn a bit more about myself. So culturally and just on a personal level, I've learned more about my own history, my own culture. And of course, you know, during that 18 month period as well, we got to see the police brutality in America, for example. And obviously that affected a lot of people globally. That then shifted my, not only my perception of what it is to be a black male, but also what I wanted to do for other people within that same community, feeling this responsibility to not only learn for myself personally, but to share my knowledge with other people within the community. And not only just my knowledge, but being able to help grow that community in any way possible. And have you felt it grow or strengthen over the past 18 months? Definitely. At this point, I guess it's maybe really small, small steps. However, for me, it's not necessarily about the magnitude of it, but I get a lot of gratification just from hearing one person reach out to me to tell me how some piece of work that I've done 
has been impactful to them. And I think for me, that's kind of what I live for, because I think at the end of the day, you know, if we, if we think of life, right, I think a life well lived is where you get to pursue your own personal goals and achievements, but then also live for other people. So just getting one person that tells me that I've changed their day or their life in, in some form or way is such a humbling experience. And it is those small steps. That's what counts at the end of the day. They all add up. Exactly. And, and, and I think for me, I think if, if you're leading with, with passion, especially in matters to do with social justice, people naturally will gravitate to, to the work that you're doing if they believe in your why, right? So mm. I think if you focus on the reason as to why you're doing it, that helps clarify what you're actually doing. And people naturally join and help in whichever way that they can. Well, that comes back to trust as well, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the building of a relationship in part comes from knowing why the person mm. behaves in the way they do, what their values are, what their foundations are, and hopefully working out what foundations we share. Definitely. We have a lot of similarities more than we like to think. Although there's so much polarization in the world today, I think as long as we can get to a point where there's mutual understanding, you know, we can start to build that trust and connection. What do you think is the remedy to that polarization? I would say two things. The first is getting a common understanding. For the most part, people are not necessarily having a conversation with each other. Someone is wanting to say what they think or how they feel about a particular matter and share their perspective, but then they don't necessarily want to hear the other person. So that makes it difficult for any constructive or progressive discussions because no one is really listening to the other person because everyone just wants to be heard. So I think if we can work on, I may not agree with you, but I can also understand where you're coming from, right? And then the second part to it is around how we approach it as far as, at least how we approach the conversations as far as when people feel guilt, they feel as though it's a personal attack on who they are. And it, it then automatically makes someone defensive. And it makes it difficult for you to then be able to, you know, cross over onto the other side and have any form of constructive discussion because that person already has switched off and they don't want to listen to anything you're saying because they think that it's a personal attack. There has to be some awareness from both parties in terms of what we say and how we say it. Fungai, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today about what matters to you and what you see as central to the work that we do in diversity, in inclusion, in belonging. I thought we'd leave with a music recommendation. Do you have a song, a piece of music that you can mm -hmm. leave with us and the listeners who are here with us now? This is actually, in some ways, a, a fitting song as well. 
based on our conversation. Frank Ocean, We All Try. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to put that straight on the playlist. Thank you so much, Fungai, for joining us. And we are delighted to continue this series of up-close podcast episodes as we meet the team that is growing. So that's a big moi from us at moi to all of you listening. And Fungai, thanks again for joining us. Really grateful for being here. And I'm grateful for whoever it is that's listening on the other end. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.